Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Grab a seat if you would, please. Uh, the appropriateness of worship this morning and, and what we're going to talk about and, you know, for me personally, just what's been going on with, in my life, just to give you a quick update. Uh, my, my dad's been in, the, in and out of the hospital the last couple weeks. He has congestive heart failure and, you know, we're, we're just waiting for the Lord to come get him and it's, it's you know, been brutal. Some of you guys know, know that process. You understand what it's like. It's hard, but uh, God has been so faithful to our family and uh, to my dad as well. And we just want to thank you all so much for your prayers and uh, just continued prayer, you know, for peace and comfort as the Lord continues to tarry. Uh, we, we don't understand, you know, the, the whole process, but we know that God is faithful. We know that he's at work and, you know, I don't know what he's teaching my dad right now, but I know he's teaching him something. He's teaching me a lot. So I praise the Lord for that. But uh, thank you so much for your prayers. And uh, he is currently in the hospital still. Uh, he's stable, but uh, he's continued to have, you know, uh, uh, arrhythmia issues in his, with his heart. And so one, one time, they're, they're, he's at this point, he, they were kind of bringing him out of it, but he's chosen no longer to have that happen. So the, just the natural process will happen with him, and, and he'll go to be with the Lord. So if you just continue to pray for him, I would appreciate it. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to make sure you have the Word of God in your laps. Just raise your hand real quick. We'll get you a Bible. John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. Uh, this is an incredible passage that we have before us. Uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples in a, a very time where they are extremely troubled. And so it's going to be a good, good message for me. I've been camping in these verses for two weeks. And they've, I've, I've gleaned so much from the Lord from these passages. Um, but um, I, hope, I know that they will be applicable to your life too. So John chapter 14, if you're a guest with us, we welcome you this morning. We're so glad you're here. There is a, a contact card in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you would just fill that out and you would just take that to the welcome center, which is directly across from the main sanctuary doors there, we have a welcome packet for you. So if you just take that there, we'll, we'll make sure you get that. We want to give you a little bit of information about who we are, what we believe and whatnot. I would think that that would be important to you. So... Uh, Fill that card out, make sure you connect, and then also, as, as Dan mentioned, prayer. Prayer is so vital, and it's so important, and we're going to talk a little bit about it this morning, but prayer requests, you know, I, 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 we, we, we shouldn't have to plead for prayer requests, right? We should, we should be so flooded with prayer requests because we all have so much going on in our lives. Um, listen, it is not a burden to pray. It is a privilege to pray, and so we will be here uh, every Sunday, except for the first Sunday of the month, 6 p.m., we will be praying. We want to pray for you. This is what church family is about. This is what doing life together is all about. It's about coming together in times of need that we are lifting each other up. We're holding each other's arms up as you are to our family right now. We want to continue to do for you. And so we want to pray with and for you. Um, and obviously, you can join us as well. It would be awesome. So make sure you uh, do that this morning as well. We also want to welcome our live stream audience. I know some of you are sick at home today, so we're glad that you're joining us as well. Stand with me if you would, please. We're going to pick it up in John chapter 14, and we have a doozy of a chapter that I will try and uh, go through today. We'll see where we get to. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for just the blessing it is in our lives, that it is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. It ministers to our heart in, in ways that we don't even understand. We pray this morning, God, that you would help us to apply your word. Twice you command us in this passage, let not your hearts be troubled. We know, Lord, that trouble will come into our lives. We will be found fighting off troubles. But, Lord, let them not affect our internal peace. We pray, God, that you would help us. As we sang earlier, uh, it is well with my soul, Lord. May we, from soul level, be at peace, Lord. May we be experiencing the peace of God this morning. And if we aren't, Lord, you are available this morning to be in right relationship with. So we ask you to just move in this place this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit to just come and speak directly to each one of our hearts. We need to hear from you today, Lord. We're desperate to change, to be more like Jesus. And so we ask you, Lord, to just come and shape us, form us and fashion us, Lord. Search our hearts that if there would be any wicked way in us, Lord, reveal it to us. Lord, we want to hear from you. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, Time Magazine in June 6th of 1983 had a cover story called Stress, the Epidemic of the 80s. And uh, it, referred to, it was referred to as the leading health problem. That continues to be true today. It's been said that the number one and number two causes of death in America, heart disease, and cancer are a result of chronic stress. It's been estimated by primary care physicians that 75 to 90% of their visits are stress-related. The reality is, folks, is we suck at dealing with stress. Amen? We are not good at it. We're not good at dealing with troubles, the troubles of life. We are prone to take our troubles to heart. Prone to take our troubles to heart. I'm thankful for John 14 this morning because in it we have an incredible teaching by Jesus on how to deal with the stresses, the troubles, the difficulties of life. That we wouldn't allow them to come into our heart and affect our internal peace. Jesus has an incredible word for us this morning. I am titled this message, Remedies for a Troubled Heart. Remedies for a troubled heart. Hidden in these 31 verses are seven remedies to combat and to cure a troubled heart. Anybody here this morning need to hear a message about how to deal with trouble at the heart level? Anybody here? Just me. I'm the only one. No, there's a few of you. Okay. Well, praise God for that. Listen, if you're not in trouble right now, you will be. So take notes. You will refer back to this. As I've said, I have been camping in these passages the last couple weeks just gleaning so much from the Lord, and He has uh, spoken to me in so many different ways relating back. I've, I've read these passages to my dad, you know, and, and, 
as we continue to just minister. It's been, it's been ministering to us so much. This chapter will be a lifesaver for you. It will be a lifesaver for you at some point if it isn't already. So you want to mark it in your Bibles. Jesus wants to teach us to remain at internal peace when all hell is breaking loose on the outside. He wants us to help us understand today that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are in your life, that you can be at perfect peace. There's a scripture that says that we can have the peace that what? Surpasses all understanding. That means that there is a peace that is not that, that, that will not make sense on earth, but when we find ourselves in a circumstance, God will just meet us where we are when we will be at peace. And that's what Jesus wants to teach us this morning. So let's not waste any more time. Remedy one, number one, if you're taking notes, straight out of the 80s from Journey's Escape Tour album, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, it's been, if you've been with us, you know that Jesus has just delivered some devastating news to his disciples. He told them that one of them was going to betray him. They all looked around. Who, me? They didn't know who it was. Jesus understood who it was, and yet they were wrestling with that in their hearts. And then he goes on to tell them that he is going away. And where he goes, they cannot come. They've been following him for three years. They've been with him the whole time. And now he's telling them, I'm going away. And they're thinking, are you going on vacation, Lord? They don't understand the idea of what is happening here, that Jesus is going to die and that they can't follow him right now. Well, Peter chimes in right after that. And he says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. I will go where you are going. And Peter says, oh, rest assured. Or Jesus said to Peter, rest assured, son, you will go that way. You just won't go now. You just hold on a second. But let me fill you in on a couple details, Peter. It, before the rooster crows three times, the very next morning, you will deny me three times. They are dealing with a lot of difficult information. They are confused. They are angry. They are stressed. They are troubled. The disciples here. So Jesus gives them a, a, a command here. It's a negative command. Let not your hearts be troubled. In the Greek, the word troubled there is tarasso, and it means to stir up, to cause acute emotional distress, turbulence, to cause great mental distress. Listen, G John writes for us here in just the previous chapter that Jesus himself was troubled. He had some issues going on in his own life. He faced the same things you face, folks. He was tempted at all points, and he failed at none. He did it perfectly, but that doesn't mean that he didn't experience external trouble. He did, but he successfully navigated through it. He didn't allow it to become trouble at heart. But Jesus was troubled. He was troubled in John chapter 13, verse 27, where he was speaking about Judas betraying him, and his heart was breaking because at this very moment, as Judas would reject the gospel for the very last time, it would be final for him. He would become the son of perdition, the son of destruction. And it grieved Jesus' heart to the point that he was in great distress over this man's salvation. Now understand this, that is the same way Jesus feels every time a person passes away from this earth without being in right relationship with God. It grieves his heart. 
God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It burdens him. He is distressed. He is troubled by those who are refusing to come to Christ. It burdens him. He understands trouble, folks. He understands the trouble that you may find yourself in this morning. Jesus commands them, don't let not your heart be troubled. Don't get all distressed and depressed. Don't let your circumstances stir your heart up to the point that you are not at perfect peace. Let not means that you have the ability, you have the power to not allow that to affect your internal peace. Amen? It's harder to do than, it, than what it says. But listen, it's simply faith. It's really, I shouldn't even say that it's not hard to do. It's simple faith. We just trust the Lord no matter what's going on in our lives. And He gives us that perfect peace. And I'm thankful that the Lord meets us where we are. That we can choose to be at perfect peace no matter what's going on on the outside. The choice is ours. Jesus tells us here, if you find yourself troubled at heart this morning, the remedy is simple. Believe in Him. Believe in Jesus. He said, you believe in God. Believe in me also. Now, here's the deal. He tells them, the first line of defense for trouble against the heart is belief in Jesus. You trust Jesus. You believe in him. It's faith. We have to trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing. Is God in control? God is in control, folks. He is sovereign. That means every circumstance that you find yourselves in, that he has been in control of that somehow. He's using it. And so we can trust him. And we can rest in him. Amen? Because he knows what he's doing. If you're troubled at heart this morning, perhaps you've stopped believing. Maybe you believe in God, but perhaps you're not believing in Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He brings peace to every circumstance. He tells us here that we can, we can, we can navigate through these troubles of life by simply believing in Him. Now, some of you might think, well, isn't believing in God, believing in Jesus also? It should be. He is God. But we, 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 that term God is so broad that we don't, we, we, it can mean anything to anybody. You can ask somebody, do you believe in God? And they're saying, yeah, but they're not the same God you believe in. That word can mean all kinds of things. Jesus says, let's get specific. Do you believe in me? Now, when you bring it to that level, conversations change. I was in the hospital talking to a nurse here yesterday, and I said, are you a Christian? Oh, I'm spiritual. That's not what I asked you. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Because that is the only way to heaven. Well, I'm spiritual. Oh, so you believe in God. You see what I'm saying? Let's get specific. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And if you believe in him, do you trust him? Listen to me. There is no other belief that will get you to heaven. You can believe in God all day long, but if you don't believe in Jesus, you cannot go to heaven. You have to place your faith in him and him alone. That's what the Bible tells us. You can't have salvation without believing in Jesus as you believe in God. Listen, if you don't want your heart to be troubled, don't stop believing in Jesus. You have to trust him fully and in his words. For his words are words of assurance and hope. Listen to what he says here in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, 
you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, Jesus tells his disciples that their troubles will only last for a moment. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what you are find yourself going through today. It is temporary. I don't understand why people take, people make, uh, take permanent solutions to temporary problems. Why people commit suicide is, is beyond me. I don't understand it. Maybe some mental issue, whatever. I, I think maybe a way of escape for a temporary problem. It's temporary. Your problems are temporary. Your troubles will never, they're not going to be on, going on forever and ever, friend. They will come to an end one day. This too shall pass. We love to say that in certain circumstances, but in our troubles, listen, they, your troubles will pass one day. Jesus is promising that here. He tells us that we will one day go to heaven to be with him. Now, heaven is a real place. Jesus says it right here. He's speaking about heaven. He's telling us that heaven is a real place, and he is promising to come get us one day and to take us there. It is not some fantasy, pie-in-the-sky idea. It is the word of God, Jesus' words to you and I, assurance and hope. And he wants you to understand that this morning. That's why you have to believe in him. He is going to come and get us. And when he does, whether that be through the natural process of death or through the rapture, the reality is this. There will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Amen. And we long for that day. Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus, come. We long for that day. And check this out. You and I will never again have to contend with our flesh ever again. You will never have to fight the battle of wanting to do the right, wrong, uh, wrong, desiring to do the wrong thing and having to fight to do the right thing. That battle will be put to rest. You will no longer have to fight that battle because Jesus says that he will give us a new dwelling place. What do I mean? Well, he says here, that there are many rooms in his father's house. Now, your version of the Bible, it may King James, or I'm not sure what version you have, says that there are many mansions. However, the best translation for this word for that, that is translated rooms or mansions is dwelling place. There is a dwelling place. Well, what is he talking about? I don't know if you have thought much about this and allowed your mind to wander as it relates to this dwelling place in heaven. Perhaps you have, but, but, but Jesus is there right now and he's managing the greatest development project to ever happen in the face of the earth where he is there preparing a place for you and I. But what will that place be? Oh, it's going to be a mansion. It's going to be this incredible, beautiful colonial with gigantic double porch you know, thing, it, it's going to be incredible. They're going to double-decker porch, 10 bedrooms, six and a half bath, guest room for the mother-in-laws, you know, next to the pool. There's going to be 20 luscious acres of prime heavenly soil with streams of dark chocolate for some of you. Willy Wonka land, Oompa Loompas working the land for you. It is going to be, in, let your mind wander. Because the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has fathomed the things that God has created for those who love him. He is there preparing something great for us. But let me bring some perspective to what exactly Jesus is talking about here. It's not a physical mansion that he's speaking about. I don't believe that at all. 
I believe that what he is speaking about is a heavenly dwelling, which is our new bodies, which is the heavenly bodies that we will one day put on. He's not speaking physically, but he's speaking spiritually about our heavenly dwelling here in, as our new bodies, our mansions. Listen, compared to the tents that you're living in now, you live in a tent. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 says this. I'm reading the New Living Translation. I think it makes it clearer. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. The analogy is perfect. We're on a gigantic camping trip right now. And the tent that you're in, you're wearing... And one day, the tent will be taken down. You will die. It will be packed away into a box and put in the ground. You will never, ever inhabit that tent again. You will inhabit this mansion that God has made for you, that Jesus went away to prepare for you. You will inhabit this incredible body that is going to be so, in, so fabulous that you're, you know, it's not going to be your ball today, you know, ripped abs and all this stuff, you know, kind of thing. And not necessarily even that. The, the, it's going to be so different than what we have, we, we get a picture of what it's like because Jesus, when he was resurrected, he walked through walls, but yet he still ate. And so this body is going to be unbelievable. It's a mansion compared to the tent that we live in now. And Jesus is at this very moment there preparing it for you. You see, he had to go. He had to go to heaven in order for you to put off the flesh to put on, to be clothed in Christ. He had to die, he had to raise again from the dead, and then he had to ascend to the Father in order for you to inhabit this mansion, this new heavenly body. That's what he's speaking about here. He's not speaking of a physical room or a mansion, but our, our new heavenly body. Sorry to disappoint you, but I promise when you are clothed in it, it won't be a disappointment at all. You'll be thankful that it wasn't a simple physical mansion but it is this resilient, incredible new body that he has given you. Jesus says, hey, Christian, if you're troubled at heart today, don't stop believing. He's coming back soon, and when he does, he will give you a new heavenly dwelling that's going to blow your mind. Secondly, if you're taking notes, if you're going to battle heart trouble, you must rest in the way, the truth, and the life. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus told them, he just told them in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas chimes in here. He's like, what you talking about, Willis? I know you love my 80s references today because you're all laughing. But anyways, it's the way my mind works. So, Jesus says to him, listen, that was not funny, was it? Jesus knew that they... They knew, they, they, Jesus knew that they didn't know the way. He understood that, but he asked them that they might, it was sort of a baiting question. 
you know the way. And they said, dude, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And so Thomas, he takes the bait here, and he asks the Lord, what do you mean, Lord? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus is like, I'm glad you asked. Philip, you need to understand. I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, this is the statement that Jesus makes here, this I am statement. There are seven contained in the book of John. They are statements to declare the person and the nature of Jesus Christ, that he is not only um, the Son of God, but he is also God the Son. You see, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, at the burning bush, where Moses was being recruited by the Lord to go and to, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, the Lord told him, he said, Lord, who do I send? Say, sent me to some burning bush? What am, I, uh, what am I supposed to tell them? And he said, you tell them, I am who I am. And then he said, tell them that I am sent you. I am is the name of God. Jesus is saying, I am. It's so clear. I don't understand. I know it's hard to get, but I don't understand why people don't see that in the Scriptures, that Jesus Christ can be the Son of God and be God the Son at the very same time because God can do anything. He can be two people at once if He wants. He can be three people at once. He is three people at once. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and He can do that because He's God. Now, our, our finite minds don't totally comprehend that, but we, we what? We believe in Jesus. So we, we believe in his words. These are his words to you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying, Thomas, I am the way, the way, singular. There is no other way to the Father except through the Son. Contrary to popular belief, all roads do not lead to heaven, folks. There is only one road that leads to heaven, and its name is Jesus Christ. He is the only way. There is no other way. And so people will say, well, you're so narrow-minded, I don't like it. No, I'm not narrow-minded. Jesus is. These are not my words. They're his words. I'm a follower of Christ. I, I don't make the rules up. I follow them. He said, I am the way. Therefore, there is no other way. And if you don't like that, take it up with him. Don't call me intolerant. I think you're being intolerant because I am simply living according to Scripture according to what the Word of God says. He is the way. He is also the truth, the Word of God, the Word made flesh. He is the manifestation of truth. He physically, when He came, He became the truth. He, you look to Jesus, you watch the way He walked. That's the way you should walk because that's the walking in truth. The things that He did, you should do those things because those things will lead you into all truth. The things that He said, they were always true. He never lied. And if you go to Jesus and you ask him honestly, show me myself, he will be honest with you and he will bring you the truth. He will show you. He will not lie to you because he is the singular truth. There is no other truth outside of Jesus Christ. He is the truth and he also is the life. There is no life outside of him. 1 John 5, 11 through 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see how narrow that is? You see how specific that is? He is not only the way, He is not only the truth, but He is the life. Singular, there is no other life. 
In other words, what Jesus is telling his disciples is stop looking for another way. Stop looking for another truth. Stop looking for another life. You live the life that I've given you. I am the life. You need to rest in me, folks. We need to rest in the way, the truth, and the life. It will keep your hearts from being troubled. It's when we try and go outside of the will of God and the, and the word of God that we become troubled at heart because we're trying to live contrary. Maybe, uh, you know, you find yourself today and you're, you're struggling and you don't understand it. I, I'm, I'm doing these things. I, I, I'm, I'm following through. I come to church. I do these things and yet you are not fully in belief that Jesus is the only way. Well, there might be another way. There is no other way. Well, he is a truth. He is not a truth. He is the truth. Well, there are multiple roads that lead to life. No, there's one way, and his name is Jesus. If you want rest, if you want peace from your troubles, you rest in Jesus. Thirdly, we must also do the works of the Father. Look at verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Jesus here in this set of passages now, he's moving from the, the, the idea that I am God uh, to the idea that God is in me and everything that I'm doing is a result of what the Father had put in me to do because the Father and I are one. He's trying to show the oneness now by his works and his words. He's not simply asking you to have blind faith here. He's saying, look at what I've done. If you don't believe my words, look at my works. They'll, one way or the, another, they will lead you to the same conclusion, that I and the Father are one. You cannot deny it if you look at it. Jesus is the visible manifestation of the Father, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The Father has revealed himself perfectly through the Son, Hebrews 1.13. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, the apostles had heard the Father's voice at the baptism of Jesus, at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. But they had yet to see the Father. And so here we find here we find uh, Philip and he says, Jesus, just show us the Father and it will be enough. In other words, do you see what he's saying? We're not sure. We're a little skeptical about this, Jesus. Why don't you show us and then we'll believe? No. Faith is not, faith is believing in things not seen, not necessarily believing in things that you have seen. He's saying you have faith. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he says to him. You've got to have faith in me right now. I just told you you have to believe in God and in me. You have to trust me now that the Father and I are one. 
And he goes on here, and, and, he, and he's telling Philip, have I been here so long, Philip, and you still don't know me? I wonder if Jesus is saying that to you today. How long have we walked together? How long have you been feasting on my word, and yet you know me not? You don't know me. You don't know me like you could know me. You think you know me, but you don't. And the fact that you, 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 you worry and you distrust me in certain areas shows that you don't know me that well. Because those that know me know that they can trust me with their life. Because it's in my hand. And I will not let you go. Maybe Jesus is saying that to you this morning. All you have to do is simply respond by faith. Say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe even that. Something, Lord, help me to believe in this, Lord. Move me from beyond this place of stagnancy today. I want to know you more, Lord. Reveal yourself to me. He's trying to reveal his nature and character then by, by revealing the depth of who he is, the fact that he and the Father are one. This is getting deeper. Can you swim these waters? Some won't. Some will stay up on shore and play in the kiddie pool. And Jesus says, I want to take you to the deep waters, but you have to trust me and you have to believe what I'm saying. And I'll reveal myself to you. I and the Father are one. And if you don't believe that, just simply look at my works. Jesus is telling us, Jesus told us in John chapter 5, verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Is that not true? Do your kids not do what you do? I find my kids repeating every negative thing, every negative character that I have, my kids have. And they bring it out to me, and the Lord says, see what I have to deal with? And I'm like, Lord, thank you for being faithful. Now get over here, now, you know. I'm going to show you, you know, and the Lord's saying, Tim, that's you. It is true. Jesus is saying, every perfect thing I've done, I've done because I've seen my Father do it. He's following his Father. In verse 36 of John 5, he goes on and he says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You see, the miraculous works of Jesus were not to to, to create faith. They were to authenticate who he was and who sent him. The idea is not, hey, look at the, look at the, you know, the magic that I can do. Look at the miracles that I have performed. You know, look how great I am. What he is saying is those things are simply to help you to be able to trust my words. So you, you can't trust my words right now. Just look at my works and maybe that will bring you to that place where you can trust me. Maybe you understand what that's like. You know, you, you waffle in your faith as it relates to some of the things in the Bible, but you cannot deny the work of the Father in your life. The things that He's done, the things that He's rescued you from, how He's brought you relief in times of sorrow and pain, how He has delivered you from sins that you've been in bondage to, how He has done these things for you. You can't deny His works. And what Jesus is saying is, don't take my word for it, look at my works. That's kind of what James said about Christians, right? Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. This, this is not some works-based salvation thing. What he is saying is if you're a Christian, you will naturally do the works of the Father. 
You will naturally follow in the footsteps. You will become like the Father in the way that you manifest yourself in the world. He will be working through you, and He will do things. He, uh, Ephesians 2.10, you're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Created you for good works, and He's given you those good works. Jesus said, I, the works that I did, I did because the Father put them in me to do. And if you want to be released from troubles in your life, I found that as I serve the Lord and I do the work that He's given me to do, I'm so encouraged that I can't be discouraged. I watch God walk and be faithful in my life as I do the works that He's put in my life to do, and I am so built up in faith in what He's done that I can't be distressed about what's going on in my life. Anybody with me on that? It is amazing to do the works of the Father in your life. It encourages you so much. And, you know, frankly, let's be honest here, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He could do these works by speaking words. He spoke this world into existence. He doesn't need us, but part of the journey here on earth is the Lord working through your life, partly for you, so that you understand that He's there, that He's real, that He's tangible, that He's at work, and you have faith in Him. And as He works through you, you are encouraged, and you can say, I can do all things through Christ. If God didn't do anything in your life, how could you say that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, although I've never seen Him do anything. You know, well, no, he's done things. And that's why you can say that. God is not some sterile, benevolent dictator in heaven that, that is just, you know, saying, well, just do, do, do these things and, and I'll love you. No, no, he loves you and so he puts his works in you. You see, the opposite, and we're not trying to reach God by our works. We're trying to reach him through relationship. And as we love him, he does works through us and we're encouraged. What Jesus is telling them is look to the works. If you're a Christian, there will be works in your life. If there are no works in your life, then you're either one, not a Christian, or you're not walking in obedience to the Lord. You hear me? That is the reality. That's what Jesus is saying. You were created to work. Listen, don't think that when we get in heaven... I love this analogy that we're going to lay on clouds and fat babies are going to feed us grapes. That's not going to happen. You are going to work. You're going to do things for the Lord. I don't know what those things are, but, but he's going to do things. He's, he's going to accomplish things through you. We do know that in the millennial kingdom, we believe we're pre-trib rapture. We're going to be raptured out before the tri tribulation happens. We will come back with Jesus at the, at the seven year, at the seven years are over. And we will rule and reign with him. There will be works to be done here on earth during that thousand years. And then beyond, who knows what God has planned for us. But I promise you, it's, you can't even fathom. You will be doing works. Jesus is saying, look to these works if you don't trust my word. Now, what Jesus is saying here as he continues on is saying, you're going to do greater works than I the idea is not necessarily the miraculous. Although, he, 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 you know, people are going to do things. You know, we're, we're not cessationists. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit has ceased working miraculously through the church. You know, some people come up with uh, their, their position on that in Scripture. I don't see it that way. I see that the Holy Spirit is continuing on. We, listen, we are so more desperate for the Holy Spirit today than they, we have ever been. It would make no sense for Jesus to pull back on the miraculous works of the Holy Spirit in our lives because I'll tell you what, I need it desperately. And so, uh, you know, we believe that the Holy Spirit is continuing to, to do the things, the miraculous things that Jesus had done back then. But, but also, I believe 
really what he's talking about is taking the gospel into the world. Now, now here's the thing. Jesus came to be the sacrifice. He came to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That was his role. And then he distributed to you and I the gospel of peace to take into the world. Your feet are beautiful, it says in, in, in the word, that, that, that those who come and bring the gospel of peace. You have a greater work than even Jesus did in the fact that you get to go into the world and tell people about the gospel that God wants to be at peace with them because they're at war with him. You have the opportunity uh, as a Christian to do incredible works that Jesus himself didn't do. Jesus took 12 guys and he discipled them and then he told them, now you go and tell everybody else. Now you go. And they went and here we are today and we are still going. And we continue to go because that's the command. That is the greater works he's speaking about, taking the gospel into the world. We are called to spread the good news. Are you spreading the gospel? It breaks my heart to read statistics that's only... You know, most Christians in this day and age share the gospel once a year. Once a year? Jesus died for, for the world. People are going to hell. We're sharing the gospel once a year? We probably need to step it up a little bit. Share the gospel a little bit more. Let God shine through you. You have a light in you. Why don't you open up a little bit and let it come out so that people can get saved uh, through the message that you have? You have an incredible opportunity right here, right now. You'll never have this opportunity again to take the gospel, the, 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 the fact that Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose again from the dead for sinners who don't deserve it, that his grace has been manifest through Jesus, that we get the opportunity to go tell somebody about it and change their eternal address. You know, you get to tell them, listen, you don't have to go to hell. You get to go to heaven. We can't take out the, the bad news from the good news, folks. we got to bring the full gospel. It's the blood of Christ that died because I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and that's why he came. So you have the opportunity to bring the gospel in that way. And when you do, listen, you will not be troubled. You will be so encouraged as you watch God work in your life. Don't be discouraged this morning. Be encouraged. Go do the works of the Father that he's placed into your heart. Number four, if you're taking notes, ask Jesus to intervene. We're going to wrap it up with this verse here. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Whoa. How incredible. When times are tough, we simply need to call upon the name of the Lord. You can call upon his name. He gave you that ability to call upon his name today when you find yourself in trouble. And he assures you that he will answer you if the motive is to bring the Father glory through the Son. It's all about glory. It's all about the Lord. He wants to work in your life, but he's not going to do it to bring you glory Father, just help me to be glorified right now, Lord. Help people to think how great I am, Lord. Would you just do this work in me, Lord? Let me, as I used to pray as an unbeliever, Lord, let me win the lottery. I'd help you so much, Lord. You know, I would, I would just do so, so many great things for you. Give me a break. Tim, I know your heart, man. Listen, it's about the Father. He says, ask in relation to the glory of the Father through the Son. Ask, and I will give you if you ask 
in that manner. So how do we ask? We pray. We pray. This is a call to prayer from Jesus himself. We need to pray. We need to pray. When there's things in your life, prayer is not the last resort. It's the first resort. It's the very first thing that we should do. When there's trouble in your life, the very first thing you should do is hit your knees and ask Jesus to intervene into your life. It's the very first thing that we should do. And so oftentimes, we have this give me a pill for this, this, this thing that I'm going through right now mentality, even in our spiritual lives. I got a headache. I need an aspirin. Why don't you pray? Why don't you pray? Do you not believe God can heal that headache? Listen, I'm not saying be ridiculous, but I'm saying let prayer be the very first thing in your life and everything that you need. Let Jesus take, don't exhaust your personal resources before you ask Jesus to intervene in your life. You ask him to intervene first because, listen, you're, you're exhausted already before you even say a word. you got no resources, folks. But you have all the resources in the world through Jesus Christ. And he's saying, let me intervene. He's begging you to come to him in prayer and ask and ask and he will give you. I love what John Bunyan said. He said, you can, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. You got that? Let me say it again. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. I love that, the idea of making prayer a priority in your life, that it is the very first thing. Make it a priority. Jesus is saying, go on the offensive and start praying. Get on your knees. That's how we do battle, Christian. We, we, we have a sort of truth in all of that, but listen, the, the most powerful weapon that we have in our arsenal is prayer. Because what we are doing, we, we are asking the God of heaven to intervene in our lives. And he is all powerful, he is almighty, and he is in control, and he wants to work. And he's asking you to pray to him to invite him into your life. He wants to work, but he's a gentleman. He's a gentleman. And yes, he's sovereign, and yes, he's going to work works that regardless if you pray or not, he's going to do. But there are things that he does as a result of prayer that are amazing. Ask Hezekiah, who got added to his life because he simply prayed. I remember J. J, um, J. Vernon McGee, old um, you know, preacher, he said, I got diagnosed with cancer one time, and uh, you know, I turned to the Lord, and I said, Lord, remember Hezekiah's prayer. And the Lord, he believes, he says this with his own mouth, the Lord added to my life, I believe it because I prayed. What's going on in your life that you don't need Jesus to intervene on? I mean, there is nothing too small that, he, that he'll go, oh, man, you should probably take that somewhere else. I, I got time for that. I mean, that, that's not really important. Why are you praying to me? No, no. He cares about your every need. The very small need to the greatest need that you have. He looks at them the same, folks. He understands that you are dire and that you are lost and desperate without him. And so he's begging you to come to him and to pray. And he's saying, just come and ask and I will intervene for the glory of the Father. That the Father might be glorified. Listen, our standard clause in prayer should be this. Not my will but yours be done. Lord, I don't know what's best here, 
but I'm asking you to intervene in my life that your will would be done. And here's what I'm requesting, Lord, but I'm leaving this at your feet with the idea that you know best. And so you work in this situation. We were just talking, I was talking to somebody this, earlier this week about that. They were saying, you know, I was praying about something and the Lord gave me this picture that if what I was praying for were to come true, this situation would totally change and this person would go the opposite way from God. But because the circumstances in their life right now, it's drawing them closer to the Lord. And so the Lord said, son, don't you see? If I were to take away this trouble right now, this person would walk the other way. We don't want that. Let your will be done, Lord. We don't pretend to understand everything, God. But we do know that you're a father who loves us. And we're your children. And you want to work in our lives. How many of you had your little child come up, Mama, Daddy, can you give me a drink? I'm so thirsty. Would you give me a drink? You go, get out of here. I don't want to see you. Right now, I'm busy. You know, I'm doing... No. Unless it's 2 in the morning. That's another case. But you are not like the Father. He's perfect, and He loves you. He wants to work in your life, and He's saying, will you come and pray to me? Will you come and let me intervene in your life? Here we have four of the seven remedies to trouble in your life. The first one we find, let me get to my notes here. Don't stop believing. Number two, Rest in the way, the truth, and the life. Number three, do the works of the Father. And number four, ask Jesus to intervene. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we are so grateful that you are so faithful to us, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for just all that you do in our lives, God. We could spend days and months and years and lifetimes, Lord, praising you and thanking you for all that you've done in our lives. But most of all, Lord, we are grateful that you don't take the trouble away externally because it's often the trouble in our lives that pushes us towards you. And we know this to be true, Lord. We know that doesn't have to be the case, but Lord, so often it is. And so as James said in chapter 1, Lord, we consider it pure joy when we encounter these various trials, because we know you're at work, Lord. And this morning, Father, we want to pray a special prayer for those who are in trouble right now. Lord, who find themselves dealing with things that have not just become external, but now they are internal. There is stress beyond ability to, to deal with, Lord. There is distress. There is depression, Lord. There is discomfort, and there is literally a loss of hope. And maybe this morning, that's you. And you're saying, Lord, I hear what you're saying. Let not my heart be troubled like it's my choice, but help me to apply it to my life right now. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up. And I want to pray a special prayer for you that the Lord will just Meet you where you are. Is there anyone else here this morning? God bless you. Anyone else? It needs a prayer. Lord, would you just meet me where I am this morning? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, listen, 
The Lord sees you and he knows you and he knows you intimately and he will not give you, you know, beyond your ability. He's going to meet you where you are today because he is in you if you're a believer and he wants to come and bring you comfort. He wants to bring you peace. And so, Father, for, for those who have lifted their hands, Lord, we want to just pray for them, God, that you would just, you would just bring a special peace in their life, Lord, right now. Lord, you know what they need. God, did you desire to meet them where they are this morning? And so we just pray that your, your spirit would flood their hearts, Lord, that you would baptize them afresh, that you empower them beyond their own ability. Even, Lord, I pray that for my own life. I need help too, Lord, struggling with all these things. And so, Lord, we just ask you to just flood us, Lord, with your grace and peace this morning. And we thank you for meeting us where we are this morning in our circumstances, Lord. And Father, we ask that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a right relationship with you, none of this applies until we are at peace with you because we are at war. Your word tells us that we are at enmity with you. Our sin has separated us from you, Lord. And we know that you came to bring life and that more abundantly, and you want to rescue those who are in that place of need of salvation this morning. And so if you're here this morning, you need Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior to rescue you from your situation, from, from, being, from, from being going to the pit of hell, Lord. He wants to bring you to heaven this morning. And if that's you, would you just lift your hand up? I want to just pray a prayer of salvation for you this morning. The Lord will invite, the Lord will not go into your heart unless you invite him in. So I just want to ask one more time, is there anyone here this morning that needs a relationship with Jesus? Just saying, Lord, I need you this morning. That you just slip your hand up. The Lord will meet you where you are. Father, we thank you for the salvation that is in this house this morning. And Lord, would you help us now, as we've just talked about, to take those works that you've put into our hearts and go out and share the gospel with people, Lord. Help us to be infused, Lord, to be the workers that you've called us to be, Lord. We just thank you for this time in your word, Lord, and we know that it will not return void. So we just lift you up. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.